You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 91. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. We are your one-stop shop for pop culture, nostalgia, movies, music, theme parks, and since we live in Florida, the occasional story about a man marrying his pet alligator and then being eaten by said alligator. My name is Rob. Please tell me that's real. I I I made that one up. I don't know. It could be real. My name 50, is Rob. There's a 50, okay, sorry, 90, 10 chance. Yeah, there you go. And as always, I'm joined by a man who's buried so many hobos in his yard, he now has a hobo tree. That's Jimmy. I sure do. It grows little little uh little items wrapped in handkerchiefs. Uh, bindle, those are called bindles. Okay. Like Thank yeah, you. the little sticks already come pre tied. It's very nice. Nice. I love visiting Jimmy's hobo tree. And <laughs> and also a man who's gotten the clap so many times he thinks it's applause. That's Greg. We are the Give Me Five podcast crew. This week, we're going to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home, Tom York's new album, and short film Anima. And after we get done, we'll come up with with a top five list for this week relating to our topics. Guys, this is a review show. There will probably be spoilers. It will be spoilerific. If your spoiler sense is tingling, you might not want to watch this or listen to this because this was a weird movie release week. And Spider-Man came out on a Tuesday because of the 4th of July. And it made it so that probably a lot of you guys won't have had the chance to see it at the point that this comes out. Uh, As a result, I think Rob and I will probably try to stay as far away from the major, major spoiler. That's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to talk about this movie. We're going to do our best. I think we're going to spoil it. Yeah. So just be careful. Don't be mad at us. Um, And, you know, if there's anything you haven't, read, listened to, heard, whatever, yet just uh, use your own discretion. Uh, guys, anything new in the world? Um, I, I'd like to uh, go back to, I think, the last couple of episodes that we've talked about. Yeah, the last two episodes. Um, yeah, the last two episodes that we've talked about it. I, I did a little bit of digging. I've got a little bit more to check into because I'd like to do averages. So you're talking about the, mentioned- yes, the, the movie thing, I'm assuming? Yeah, we've mentioned we've mentioned several times that the box office this year is down. Mm-hmm. The box and and we keep hearing about it. The box office is down. The box office is down from last year. Um, so I, I was just curious, and I went through and did a check. And this is this is according to what was the name of that site? I was um, release schedules on firstshowing.net. It's got the release schedule for the entire year of 2019. That's a ridiculous and the entire That's a ridiculous year. website name. Yeah. And and the entire year of 2018, and I went through and I did a quick count just just for basic information. Mm-hmm. Um, in the month of January, these are these are wide releases now. Wide releases in the month of January, 2019 had three less movies released wide in like nationwide than 2018. In February, 2018 and 2019 had the same amount of movies released. In March. 2019 had three less movies released in the month of March than 2018. So by the end of March, they're already six movies short for the year. That's interesting. Of what was released the previous year. 
Um, I'd like to go back and do some do some digging and find out like what the average is per movie release. Yeah, like, how much is that? That's at... is it like sixty million dollars total or sixty million dollars each? Right, right. And and I'd like to see how they compare as far as the average intake of each movie because if the average intake of each movie is still essentially the same, then the box office really isn't off by that much. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and then just doing a look, just doing a quick glance at the the rest of the months, April, May, and June, because we just started July. Um, April, both both um, both years had the same amount of releases, so both both years had eleven releases. May twenty nineteen crushed twenty eighteen. However, there was an extra week in May this year, so May had five Fridays in it, so it got credit for five extra. That's actually surprising. I'm, I thought everything would get right out of the way of. Uh of avengers in may and then they went back to having less movies in june so all in all may saw a seven movie increase but then fell down another four movies last month so they're still behind by three movies so far up to date for this year and that's that's just wide release that's not counting movies that were in limited release that's not counting movies that um you know like the Cannes film festival and all that stuff so that's not counting anything that was in a limited release. That's only wide release movie. And this year, I didn't, I, I didn't look too closely last year, but I did notice that this year had at least two weekends where there were no new movies released. Last this past weekend here, there were no new movies. No, there, were, there was two, but there were small releases. Uh, yesterday came out the the, okay. the movie okay. like that was like what if the Beatles never existed? And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, yeah. But that's they were right, they right, were small right. indie releases that try to jump into that spot because there were no movies released. Right, right, right. So, yeah. But, so part of the problem is, is that they've put out less product and now they're complaining that they're not making as much money. It's like, well, you know. Well, they're not complaining, just that, that's talk. the story. That's the that's what you're hearing. Because, um, yeah, it went down after this weekend where there was no new releases. It was like close to 10% off. It was like 9.5% off or something. It's, it's interesting. Though. Right. I like that. It's interesting the way the movie numbers work and all that stuff. I, I told you last week, I found that fascinating. So I like that. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, I, I so, forgot to add something. Were you adding one more thing to the movie thing? No, no, I, I, I just need to do a little bit more research and check the, uh, check the totals of the movies and see like how they average nice. out per movie. Uh, one other thing I forgot to add to our spoilers. Uh, we are also going to periodically hear a dog bark or many dogs bark because we are recording the night before 4th of July and while uh, fireworks are technically illegal in Florida, but you can buy them everywhere because all you have to do, you can get them at the yeah, supermarket. Yeah, but like the, the big ones that like explode, if you go to any of these tents or whatever, all you have to do is sign a form that says that you are a farmer and you're using the fireworks to scare away birds. That is that is literally how people can buy big fireworks. <laughs> yep, that's Seriously? how you're able to buy fireworks and how there's fireworks stores. You just sign a form saying that you're a farmer. It takes the onus off of the people that would actually get fined for selling the fireworks. And that's how we have giant oh fireworks God. stations everywhere. And that's why you will occasionally hear various dogs barking. So we can't do anything about that. As well as people blowing yes. off their hands. Yes. Hey, keeps you in work. Hey. hey, guys, don't be an add-on. Drinking and fireworks don't yes. mix. Uh, I got a couple things. Uh, last week, you know you know, there's the, the EA curse where you put like a like a football player on the cover of a game and like the oh, yeah, yeah. Curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. uh i think our podcast has the exact opposite because just last week we were talking about uh neil gaiman and sandman possibly becoming a series and they were working on it and it was in development hell for every forever and whatever 
Did we just make another show happen? We just made another show happen. Uh, Hell yeah! But So between last week and this week, we got an 11-episode first season on Netflix. Uh, Alan Heinberg is going to be the showrunner. He, he wrote Wonder Woman, the movie. Uh, is co-written by Neil Gaiman. Uh, we've not heard any casting yet, but it is... Uh, you know, it's going to be a Sandman show. Uh, people asked, is it going to be the further adventures or is it going to follow the, the show or the comic series? Uh, it'll have to be modernized a little bit just because there are certain things in the show that are in the comic that couldn't happen now because it was written in the 90s and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. cell phones, things like that have happened. Yeah. Clearly some very influential people yeah. listen to our podcast. Yep. Prepare to be uh, super confused, everyone. When did you read that? I read Overture uh, well, less than a year ago. Well, I'm talking about like the original series. No, I didn't. So that's why Overture was a, was confusing. Yeah, because the. I mean, I, I guess the the original series. You're not wrong. It is confusing. It's very poetically written. So when I first read it in high school through college, I was a little confused. When I reread it later on, I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Okay, because, yeah, like I said last week, uh, Overture, badass trip. It's like Tim Leary himself barfed all over some newsprint. So there's a lot of spiral writing in that. Like you yeah, have to read like, around spirals. But uh, we'll see. I enjoyed it. I'm very excited about that. What's your, what You said that was on Netflix? That will be on Netflix. 11 episode first season. Well, I've got Netflix, so I'll check it out. One last little bit of news. This week, July 2nd, the... Book three of Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting came out. That is Mission to Monster Island. Ooh, yeah. uh, if you guys I'm going to have to grab that. Yeah. If you guys are new listeners, you might not understand the connection here. Um, it is it is a young adult horror book, but it is really fun. Great characters mm-hmm. about, um, well, monster hunting babysitters and kind of following the adventures of a... Kelly Ferguson. Yes. And soon to be a Netflix film. Speaking of, it's in production right now. But... The author, Joe Ballerini, is a friend of the show. He's been on two other episodes. Uh, they're October episodes, I believe. So if you look back to last October and the October before, you can check out interviews with the author of that book. And I uh, got my copy just yesterday. So I was very excited to get started I can't wait to grab mine. Yeah. Uh, really fun read. If you, uh, What I always what I tell people, uh, if, you have, if you have kids that like horror and stuff and you like horror, it's, it is horror, but it's not too over the top scary if you're you know but you guys know your kids better um if your kid is squeamish probably not the best thing but if they like creepy crawlies and bigfoot and scary things it's it's a really fun book series for them so babysitters guide to monster hunting yeah i think if your kid sees a bug and says oh cool then you're good yeah yeah or if you have a pet gremlin that drives your car around no you don't his name's hank he's your chauffeur don't even I've met him. That'd be great. Okay. I've got a little bit of news. I've got I actually got some some major news, guys. Um with the as of this recording, this is Wednesday, today, uh Walking Dead 193 came out. And guess what? That's the last issue of The Walking Dead. Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead series, ended on a high note. Um in the letter to the fans at the end of the book. Kirkman addresses the fans and says, hey, look, I know some of you are probably angry. You're probably really confused and torn up about this. But I believe in, su- you know, surprising the the reader. Um, a couple of different media outlets picked up on this before. 
uh, bloodydisgusting.com, bloody-disgusting.com, posted a wonderful article free of spoilers alluding to the fact that, yes, this might be the final issue. Um, I was fortunate enough to grab a copy of the 70-page final issue of The Walking Dead. If you guys are able to, if you haven't read it in a while, if you've watched the show, I think it's a, a, a very good, a very fitting into the long-running comic series. Definitely check it out. Uh, tugged at the heartstrings a little bit. Not going to lie, I've been following it for a really long time. I got a few things to say about this. Okay. Nothing bad. This brings me back to be, like back in the day when I was when I would collect comics and of course they had your special issues that you knew were coming like your uh, death of superman kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cuz they called it death of superman. You know what this one was called? The farmhouse. Yep. So, I love when comic books or anything can really surprise people. So like I rem there was an issue of for example Green Lantern where and it was just a regular issue and he kind of went insane and started taking down of the other Green Lantern's reasons. And like no mm -hmm. one knew it was coming. So that all of a sudden, like you heard that this happened and you had to rush out and find this issue. And it was like it was that kind of stuff that really made collecting fun. Like finding those those gems and finding those surprise stories. Like, oh my God, so and so died. I have to get that issue. And one of the other things that Kirkman said is that um as a fan, I hate it when I realize I'm in the third act of a movie and the story is winding down. I hate that I can count commercial breaks and know that I'm nearing the end of a TV show. I hate when you can feel when you're getting the end of a book or a graphic novel. So he wanted to surprise people. I have no idea how he was able to do it. Uh, I mean, he's a big name. Well, it, it's a big book. Yeah, it definitely didn't fool everyone. Um, but it but, but it was I, severely underordered because he doesn't need mm -hmm. he doesn't need yeah, the money. So was. like, it's going to be worth a ton oh. of money because it was so underordered because no one realized it was the end. Yeah. Now everyone wants it. Like you said, there was people, and it'll go into second yeah. print. Yeah, there were five or six people outside of the comic store that I went to, and they were already turning people away. The only reason I got one is because one of the employees showed up with an extra box. And because I told you about it at work, at that, work yesterday. That was it. And you, you tackled them? He did. Mm, I didn't have to. Yeah. So very, very cool. And they even, to kind of pull this off, they even put in the, I don't know if you guys out there know comic stuff, but they'll actually send out like a magazine that says, you know, whoa, it says what, uh, it says, whoa, know, fireworks like exploding all around my house. It says what, mm -hmm. uh, is coming out. So they're going to be, you know, they're, I forget what the magazine's called. It was like previews and they'll say like in six months, you're going to see this comic. So they actually had the cover artist do the next like six issues, like, and push up the value of like a supporting character as if he was a bigger deal than he was. And they like, put him on the cover and all this stuff. So they made fake covers and fake, uh, I keep on saying certifications. That's not the word I'm looking for. Um, solicitations, what I'm looking for. And then they, so it fooled the comic book stores. And then until the comic book stores really started learning about it, which was Monday and Tuesday. Now it was too late. It's very cool. It's absolutely worth the read. Little, uh, little more fun news here. Uh, guys, do you know what Saddleback K is? I do. I do, but that's only because I'm looking at the notes. What's funny mm. is I too <laughs> am looking at the notes, and I also know. Yeah. All right. Oh, there you go. Listeners, just well, look at our notes. You may, yeah, <laughs> you may remember Saddleback K from a little promotional video that came out in 2017, mm -hmm. uh, promoting the disastrous Fire Festival. Uh -huh. 
Now, Saddleback K was the original location of the uh, fire festival. supposed to be owned by What's-His-Face. That was formerly, previously owned by Pablo Escobar, I guess, which they were like, oh, hey, this place, like, oh, that guy was awful. <laughs> like, okay, sure. But the island is for sale. It includes a uh, couple of guest houses, I believe. So there's already houses on the property. It's absolutely beautiful. And I was wondering if I could, uh, without naming a price, convince you guys to go like thirdsies with me you think maybe take out a small loan we could we could pull I'm this not off a tropical person you have to say yes before i tell you the price well if i must yeah no yeah, if i must rob said yes greg said yes it's 11.8 <laughs> million dollars i love how i said no and jimmy goes rob said yes <laughs> yeah we'll be forming a kickstarter um and with different tiers you can have a couple of different feet that's my dog sorry guys uh you can have a couple of uh you know square yards of space to yourself so look for that in the near future we might have t-shirts or something i'm totally we're gonna pee on all the mattresses so nobody else and then hand out cheese sandwiches there you go Mm -hmm. give me five podcast the island (laughs) with with no fireworks allowed unless you're doing it to unless you're doing it to annoy fireworks you're a dick launching them off on is that the, the third barking or is that that is uh scully he is not very happy with How the fireworks could annoy my poor sweet scully okay let us let's move on here to everyone's favorite topic weird shit in florida weird shit in florida, florida. that's called harmony <laughs> that's what that's called i i don't I don't know that that's actually what that was called, but it's sure. something. It was beautiful. It brought a tear to my eye. Yeah, it did. Well, d- d- I've got a couple of weird shit in Florida because I live in – well, we all live in Florida. But um, uh, we got – here's a good one. A um, a Florida man was arrested for pelting a girlfriend – his girlfriend – with McDonald's sweet and sour packets. So, uh, okay. Uh, well, okay. his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, which I I'm guessing is – I'm guessing uh, it's actually Jesus, it but, is. but we'll go with Jesus. We're going to go with Jesus. Attacked his girlfriend, with whom he has a child, in the couple's motel room, meaning he actually, uh, which is interesting. I guess he actually brought the packets with him. And he he uh, pinned her to the ground, and um, yeah, and he started pelting her in the face with the uh, with sweet and sour sauce packets in the head and face area. Well, if he was pinning her to the ground, how did I guess he, he, he held her down with one hand and then threw them at her? So he. He placed his palm. He used. He placed his palm on her to hold her down. It's less fun when there's like actual punching involved. But let's just let's just focus on the sweet and sour packets being pelted in her face. Not a good thing. Uh, assault with a delicious weapon. So that's thank you, Jesus, and your magical packets. All, all I can picture is some guy in a robe throwing these things, and it, with everyone that he throws, he says, "The power of Christ compels you." With sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> so it's not so bad. You know, it's it's awful, it's but if you picture awful. that uh, way, it's, it's pretty And uh, just in case, yeah. uh, here's another one that's a little less, less uh, terrible. <laughs> here's here's another little less, less terrible one. Uh, there's a, Hank the Alligator is an alligator that lives uh, in Daytona Beach. Good old Hank the Alligator. And a man was arrested for feeding said alligator. It's a bad idea to do that because then the alligator gets a little too friendly and you don't really want an alligator coming up to you and begging for food because if they don't get it, they're going to eat you. It is 
it is actually yes. illegal to feed wild alligators. So, like, if your arm if your arm gets bitten off by an alligator, you for go that to jail. very reason, no, you're just not allowed to feed them your own food. But anyway, this alligator apparently Jewish. Did not know there's such a thing as a apparently because the alligator loves no, bagels. The alligator was Jewish. So, uh, so uh, Hank and. Oh. Uh, uh, probably not. Were there locks involved? Um, but the, yeah, uh, this dude just would go visit Hank oh, and feed him. Uh, Paul Fortin was his name. Would feed Hank uh, bagels. Said so he just sits there and he loves bagels. He was such a good friend. Uh, alligator lover added, "It's illegal. It's totally illegal to do it. Did I know it? No. Did I know I couldn't feed and feed a turtle alligators? Yeah, I kind of knew that. I don't know. Maybe I'm Doctor Doolittle. That is what he said. Um. Yes. No, my friend, you are not. Well, before we get started with our topics. Rob, I believe you have something that you need to say. Uh, I and and I would like credit for pointing out my own shame moment. I could have just let it go, and nobody would have been the wiser. Let Hit it, it Greg. Go. Let it go. Don't you ever do that again. I want to hear what it is first, and then we will shame him. Um, in one of our previous episodes, when we were speaking about Men in Black International, I made a comment in error. I said that the gentleman who plays the voice of Pawnee in Men in Black International was the cabbie from Stuber and Deadpool. Those are not the same guy. It is, however, the guy who's in who is in Stuber. It's just not the guy who's the cabbie in Deadpool. Gotcha. It's a uh, Kumali Nanjiani. Yeah, Kumail Kumail Nanjiani. He's uh, from Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and uh, he was in the Ninjago movie as Jay. And also, he he did a wonderful movie called The Big Sick, which I highly suggest you guys watching. And it is on Amazon Prime, cause, and it was one of my favorite movies of 2017. For so, give me with it, Greg. Shame, shame, shame. I am ashamed. You should be. You should be. I want the shame lady to actually show up at our house and do that. But I'm shame. pretty sure we can't afford shame. that when we, are, when we buy the island. Okay, yeah. let's let's get into topics here. Jimmy, tell us about Anima. I'm really uncomfortable with the way you say that. Uh, you say it a little bit slower, like anima. Put a little more emphasis on the the beginning there. Make Otherwise, it, it just sounds like you're saying anima. Make it oh. sound like you're making bedroom eyes at him. Jimmy, tell me about anima. Got it. <laughs> anima is the third album from Radiohead frontman and Suspiria composer Tom York. Yes, he composed the album for the latest Suspiria movie, really the remake. Really have to see that. Um, Anima is nine songs and a whopping 47 minutes long. The whole album, I feel, is really – it's just layer upon layer. Um, York introduces you know, one layer or one instrument, one kind of sample, one loop, and then adds another. He'll take one away, um, including his voice, and there's a lot of vocal manipulation on this album. A lot of like left to right panning stuff. Um, so if you have a really good set of headphones and if you are a fan of, I would say Radiohead or Aphex Twin, um, I guess electronic music in general, you know, you, you definitely want to give this one a listen. Um, and your, your full attention. I would not really say it's, um, like driving music or, building a house music but it's more um i i put creatively conducive because i think it's an album that you could study to 
that you could maybe paint, you could draw, or even do some animation. To. Um, the highlights, in my opinion, are the track's traffic. It has a grooving baseline. It's almost one you can kind of move around to. Uh, I, I, some people call that dancing. I don't know if uh, you'd really consider what I do dancing. They're more like spastic movements. Having like a lane from Seinfeld. Like a lane yeah. from Seinfeld. Exactly. <laughs> Is that what we're getting at here? Do, do, do paramedics run up to you when you're dancing, Jimmy? They do. A lot of people ask me if I'm okay. Nice. So the track twist as well, there's just a lot of warbling bass lines in these. And if you don't know what that means, I think the, uh, the term, it's an automatopoeia. Uh, we're going highbrow. It, uh, sounds exactly like the word. So there's an SAT word for you. Yep. Um, and a green arrow villain. Tom York has. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Tom York has a very unique vocal style. He can really belt it out in certain songs. Um, you know, everybody's familiar with the song Creep by Radiohead. He's, he's got some really strong lungs. That guy does. But a lot of this is um, some of it, you know, in the track Dawn Chorus, which I think is the most emotionally touching track from the album. He's just kind of talking to someone and he's telling them, you know, if you had to do it all over again. You know, would you would you do it the same way? You know, would you tell me? And it's it's almost like he's talking to a very emotionally fragile person, uh, being very delicate with his words. And there's really no kind of rhythm to it. It's it's kind of you know vocals over like in a, a rising and falling ambient track. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, we will probably revisit this topic at a, at a later episode for sure. I think. Have you guys seen A Clockwork Orange? Yes, long time ago, but uh, and I've only seen it like once or uh, twice. Several times, and okay. I read the book for my senior year right. paper in high school. I Very I cool. Had problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. Um, can you play any part of that soundtrack back in your head? Yeah. It's a very ominous, synth-heavy album. Mm -hmm. Very unique, very kind of screamy at times. Yeah. Not in terms of actual vocals, but there's a lot of stuff on this album that reminds me of work on that score that was done by Wendy Carlos. It it also there there are points where you know it feels like you could be listening to this in a in a dark you know dance club. Um, of course, I think a lot of people who would show up to listen to a Tom York album in a dance club would be sitting around telling you to shut up and just appreciate the music with their snifters of brandy. I have some, yes, definitely some Radiohead issues as because of that. And it's not their fault, but... No, uh, it's a fan base thing, for sure. I, yeah. I just think it's a really... Because the stuff from Radiohead I like is from before when they got... From before they got ambient, mm -hmm. when they were kind of... They were like a rock, rock band, band. yeah. <laughs> I and totally then... thought you said from before they got ambient, like they had some kind of, like, drug problem. <laughs> that actually is more accurate than you think. <laughs> so they went from, like, from, like rock kind of crunchy guitars and stuff like that. And then they ended up doing music that was in like the soundtrack to Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Where it's like really like floaty. Yeah. And I like both sides of it, but if I'm going to see a concert, I want the more rock crunchy guitar side. Mm -hmm. And I, if I want to do work, <laughs> I want the other side. So, but if you say that to like Radiohead fans, they're like, Oh, that stuff was before they found themselves and all that. Yeah. I don't, don't care. I like it. <laughs> if you want to go see Tom York, 
um, crooning on stage and slapping an apple, then you know definitely check <laughs> well, him out. Put it that way, I do <laughs> definitely check him out on this tour. Um, I, I I think it's a really good out. It reminds me of um, staying up past my bedtime and watching MTV's Amp, which hopefully some of you uh-huh. remember. Um, other times it feels like you're floating in a space cave, and you might understand that. You know, if you listen to it, if you agree, let me know. If you don't, that's cool too. But I'd suggest checking it out. I really enjoy it. Uh, well, it says here, uh, Jimmy also would like to talk about uh, Anima. Anima? Anima. Animas. Anima. A short film related to the album that he just talked about. So a short yes. film all about Animas. Yes, it's 20 minutes of a, um, what do you call those little tiny cameras that go in tight spaces? Anyway, so we'll on Netflix. It, we'll just call it a GoPro. <laughs> oh, if that fits. <laughs> yeah. Man, an endoscopy? An endoscopic camera, I believe. There you go. Endoscopic. Yep. yep. So it's actually not that. Yes, it's a musical short film from the minds of Tom York. And Paul Thomas Anderson, the director of such films as Punch Drunk Love, Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood, Magnolia, and The Master. The short features Dajan Ranchione. I'm saying that completely wrong. She is the love interest of Tom York in this. It's It, it features three tracks from the album Anima. It uh, The tracks are Not the News, Traffic, and Dawn Chorus, my favorite on the album. I, I got to follows- say that I'm shocked that Paul Thomas Anderson was able to do a 20-minute film because I am pretty sure in some timeline I'm still watching Magnolia. Yep, you mentioned it two episodes ago where it's very in 1999 long. he had a three-hour film and he was a second-time director. So he's actually, he's also done this for the group Haim. Okay. Um, he's a big fan of Haim and Radiohead. Uh, so it follows Tom York, opens up with him on a subway, kind of falling asleep. Um, when he comes to a woman that he had shared a glance with, it's gone and she has left her lunch pail behind. So it's pretty much him attempting to return the lunch pail to the woman that he shared a moment with, uh, without words. Uh, there, there's the concept of love at first sight. I, I believe that's what we're looking at here. There's some really impressive choreography, especially in the first act on the train. Um, everyone has their eyes closed and they're doing this really cool choreography, these, these movements with their head, which is impressively, especially impressive because they can't see anything. Um, there's some really cool projection mapping on this set that they, they, you know, he, he runs through after the train. So if you're interested in the visual arts or projection mapping, things like that, then definitely watch it for that. I would say don't really get into this expecting much of a story. Um, nothing is said except for the, you know, in the music. Um, there's a really cool choreographed sequence where on the, they're, they're on this platform. And, and really, I think the whole point of this is, is Tom York's character. Let's just say it's Tom York is he's going against the grain to try and find this woman and, and return this lunch pail to her. So he'll find the lunch pail and he's got to go against, you know, this wave of other people who are going the opposite direction. So there's this like balancing platform where you can never really tell which way it's good because while people are crawling up it, he's going down it. 
it's 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 weird kind of visual balance that's happening there um that sounds very uh from the description like the jamiroquai video it it yeah it reminded me a lot of that huh. where you're like how yeah it's it's pretty cool to watch i mean it's an experimental piece very much like the album itself it's very possible and i think as i'm thinking about it it's most likely that from the time that he gets on the subway and he nods off that almost the entirety of this until you get to the end is a dream sequence I can't imagine it's anything else. I'd say if you're a fan, if you like the album, then you should definitely check out the short film. It's 15 minutes long. You know, if you're kind of between things, you got nothing to do while dinner's being prepared, definitely check it out. And uh, as the description on Netflix says, turn it way up or watch it with headphones, with a good pair of headphones. So let me know what you guys think. And you said that on uh, it's on Netflix, correct? It is on Netflix, yes. Excellent. So that brings us to our next topic of the evening. And I believe Greg and I both got to go see Spider-Man Far From Home. No, I actually went pretty close to home. It just was right around the corner from my house. Ah, Jimmy keeps on changing Far From Home to Fart From Home on the script. I keep on deleting it, and he keeps on putting it back. He's just bitter he didn't go see it because it costs a million dollars. Shit, sorry, what happened? (laughs) So... Yeah, we actually, I, oddly enough, went to see it today, right before we whoops, right before we record it, recorded, and we think we saw pretty much the same showing, just two different theaters. Uh, directed by John Watts, who I think directed the first one, uh, Homecoming, starring Tom Holland, Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau, Zendaya, and hmm. Jacob Batalon. You guys are talking about Fart from Home now. Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I had to step out. Uh, helper monkeys can't type. Rob, just saying. <sighs> It would be easier to teach them. The the blurb here, which is not very uh, – doesn't give us a lot of information, but following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. And uh, this is probably the movie that we will be spoiling the most on this particular episode. So if you have not seen it yet, run, run far away. And This is your last warning. Seen it. Yes. So I was wondering how they were going to do this movie. Because, like, I mean, I obviously knew it was going to happen because the mm-hmm. Homecoming made a ton of money and was really good and was also from a different company. So it's not like it's, you know, Sony still owns the rights. So there's that whole, like, they're not going to just stop making the movie because Marvel has done something different. But I was really wondering how are they going to take, how are they going to deal with that endgame situation? By the way, we'll also probably spoil endgame. But if you haven't seen that, go see it now and then you can help it beat Avatar. There you go. But I was wondering how they're going to deal with the five years later situation from Endgame. How did you feel that they did that? Or how did you think that that was a good way of doing it? And I really, I liked it. Um, I, I liked it. They, they didn't go too much into it other than the fact that they had the one classmate who didn't get snapped and was now in their class. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was, he was five years. And they talked about, you know, people's little siblings being, being older than them now. And, and whatnot, but it, it's still kind of weird that the whole that the whole class, or you know, that most of their class got snapped. Yeah, um, I mean, there's like they didn't talk. There's the students that were not mentioned in the first movie that obviously mm-hmm. moved on, but it was a, a lot of the key players just happened to be lucky enough to all get snapped. So basically, anyone that had a major speaking part in the first movie was snapped. Yeah, um, but I, I did like the the what you see a small picture of him where he was like the small like prepubescent Asian kid 
in the first movie. And now he's like this handsome, tall, like rugged dude in the current movie. And it's like, oh, it's like, yeah, he grew up. (laughs) Okay. Now, it would have taken a little bit more setup, but I almost feel like it would have been a neat little twist to have uh, MJ Mm -hmm. be the younger sister who is now Peter Parker's age. That might have been a neat twist, if, but that, that would, would have cool. taken a, that would have taken a little bit more setup. Yeah, also be interesting just to know what happened to all to some of the characters from the first movie. I know it's way in the future, but well, I'm sure we'll revisit the Vulture and those guys. And <laughs> and there, there were some there were some great scenes involving the the return of the people who got snapped because they they actually had video of when people got snapped so the the band was like on the cord performing yeah and, and then were, people yeah. got snapped and they disappeared and then they actually showed a video of when they came back because they were in the middle of playing a basketball game and apparently you come back exactly where you were when you got no, snapped No I think what away. they did it was supposed to be they did it like it was a a high school news presentation with uh-huh. like so so first of all they did an in memoriam for Tony Stark which was funny and right. cuz it was all it was all in comic sans and then they did like all these like iMovie like transitions and things like flying out and whatever. I think they just played the video backwards to make it look like, I think the people that edited the video just played it backwards. No, no, because there was definitely a basketball game going on. And one of the band members got hit with a basketball when they came back. So they, they played, they, they were playing the game or, you know, the band was on the court playing when they got snapped and they showed like, it was almost like footage from the snap. They showed that footage where the band members disappeared. And then, a little while later when they were talking about when they came back from the snap, they were actually playing basketball on the court. And then all of a sudden the band members appeared on the court and a couple of the players ran into some of them. And one band member got hit with a uh, basketball and you heard the as you know, the horn went as they were hit with a basketball. It was actually Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Yes. It was actually funny. (laughs) So, okay. I didn't catch that. I thought, I really thought that it was like the other way. But um, then they they did a little bit of conversation about just, you know, the fact of like all these people came back to a world five years later. So there's a brief mention of like, like, oh, my I showed up my house and someone thought I was their husband's mistress and so on and so forth. And there's also a very large homeless population, which actually allowed us to see feast, which is I forget exactly what feast F.E.A.S.T. stands for, but it's the homeless shelter that that Aunt May runs in the Spider-Man video game and or works for. And it's also in the comic in the later year comic where she, where the owner of that is a character uh, who's a, like a philanthropist that has quite a bit of reaching. uh, There's a lot of stuff that happens with that character with Spider-Man. And it's, it's actually a very cool character and it's a very cool story. So I'm wondering if they're going to kind of go towards that because they did make a point to show that homeless shelter. And one thing that I did notice, I don't know whether or not you noticed it was missing or not, but there there was an entire sequence that I don't think was in the movie that was in the trailers. Which sequence was that? The the sequence where where Spider-Man in the iron spider suit is fighting a bunch of guys in like a restaurant or a bar or something where he's leaping over tables and stuff. He's actually fighting with the spider suit and he's using the arms and stuff. Oh, yeah. That sequence wasn't in the movie. Huh. I don't know where it would fit in the movie. That's interesting. I, yeah. Right. And now that you mentioned it. But you I'll, know what I'm talking about, I'll have to right? go back and look at it, yeah. That whole sequence wasn't in the movie. I'll have to look at the trailer. It's been a while since I've seen it. The, speaking of the villains, since you are talking about like fighting people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course we have Mysterio, who 
you they painted him as a hero in the tra- in the did. trailer, but any longtime Spider-Man fan knows that he's actually a villain. Uh-huh. And the uh, Ray Mysterio yes, Jr., which is yes. the same exact joke awesome. that you made in episode 69. And the reason why I know this, giggity. Yes. The reason why I know this is this is one of the few times that I guessed something based on a trailer and was right. So I'm going to play a little clip from episode 69 in which I <gasps> and Rob says 69, like five times. We'll we'll talk about the other one one a little bit later here, but let's see. So this is what I said in episode 69 about this movie that just came out, which that was back in January, by the way. I, well, here, uh, so here, here's the spoiler part. I think that the, that all of the villains that you are seeing in that trailer, the big elemental ones, I think they are created by Mysterio (gasps) for him to, battle to show up to think to make people think that he's a good guy mm-hmm. uh i guess well, what it that worked like? on me that's just a guess well played greg yes so the the elemental villains you see in the in the trailer those are in fact holographic villains Fake! yes but well, of course we wondered when watching like well if they're holograms are they are they myth are they magic based you know, because he looks a little bit like Doctor Strange with the little triangles on his hands and uh-huh. the the green energy. Is it something with Asgard, which I think is what happens with the comic character? Like his powers are kind of enhanced by Asgardian stuff. You know, is there some magic involved? And it turns out it is technology. And this actually I thought was very, very cool because Mysterio is the face of the villain in a way, but he's got kind of a team behind him. And the team are all mm-hmm. former Stark employees that aren't super thrilled with Tony Stark. And and they have some really great callbacks during the movie yeah. too. And they show them like they show famous scenes from the different Marvel movies and they show these various characters kind of in the background. And some of them I have to go I probably have to go back and watch the movies again, but like the the bald dude that was on the computer all the time. Mm-hmm. Like was that the actual guy that was um being threatened was being threatened by in the first Iron Man movie. I, I have to go back and look, but I'm guessing it was. What they did was they took some of these villains like Cyclone and Hydra Man and the Fire Guy and whatever. I don't know what their actual names are. Stuff that even in the ridiculous world of Marvel that wouldn't fit, and they made it so that they were able to use them, but they weren't real. Which I thought was kind of neat. A little bit of a stretch, but still pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, specifically the, the Hydra man situation. Cause the, basically the, the big holograms weren't what was crushing stuff. It was, there were kind of drones within the holograms that were doing the actual damage when they were destroying buildings and stuff like and, that. And projecting the hologram around them. Yes. So like, which makes sense. Cause they, they kind of give you the ability to see why, how there was like wind damage because they kind of have like a force push thing, uh, they, you can understand there's projectiles that could be shot out, although I'm not entirely sure how the bullets thing would work where they didn't somehow find millions of, sh- of bullets at the end of these battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire obviously can be done. I'm still not entirely sure how the water was done and they didn't bother to show you. They did kind of show you how things worked at, with other parts of the movie, but it, that was the only thing that made me think like, well, I'm not sure if that could work, but then they did the action sequences and I was fine with it because the, the, some of the action sequences were really good. Yeah. And the and like you said, there 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 were issues with how they pulled some of it off, but it wasn't really anything that you thought about until after the movie was over. And you were like, "Now yeah. wait a minute, hold on." You know, when you go back and think about it, 
then then okay it it unravels a little bit but even then it's it's still a super enjoyable movie and it keeps you it keeps you engrossed in the movie for the entire length of the movie Mm -hmm. i wasn't i wasn't bored at any point i wasn't like oh what are we doing here and and it also makes the villain's triumph or initial triumph over spider-man believable even though he doesn't really have any superpowers yeah yes would you agree? It, it does. I mean, Spider-Man had to make a huge mistake. And actually, you know what? Let's let's talk about this real quick because it, we you kind of let it led up to it. So Peter Parker, we we kind of forget because we've seen multiple versions of Peter Parker. We've seen we've read comics. Penis we, Parker. Jimmy is just chiming in with random things. <laughs> yeah, hamburgers. See, uh, Peter Parker is is. We've seen a lot of him, but you kind of forget he's just a 16-year-old kid. And yeah. he is very hesitant to do some of these bigger battles. And he's like, this is a global problem, not the type of problem that I should be doing. I'm the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I need to stop people from robbing ATMs or have fights in a bar, like you said. And and I'm sorry, but Nick Fury's response to that was absolutely hilarious. Bitch, please, you've been to space. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, and you're like, well, yeah, you've seen a lot. You've fought Thanos. You've been fighting alongside the greatest superheroes on the on the planet. And then they show him in a scene, in a type of scene that we haven't really seen since Homecoming with him as just a student. And he is awkward and he has failures and he has got a crush on a girl and he's just kind of a nerdy dude. And that's the best part of Peter Parker. And that's the stuff yeah. that the best thing about spider-man is you have to have the the nerdy side that fails and then the heroic side side. yeah right and the part we're talking about or kind of dancing around is that basically peter parker gives the villain the one weapon he needs to succeed he's tricked into it and it's like and and that's that was the part that was the biggest stretch for me because at that point i'm like Man, that was that was a lot of time investment and and setup and planning for for something that was just kind of on a whim. I mean, there was there was they didn't really steer him that way at all. They just kind of they just kind of did all of this and hoped that, you know, maybe he'd just give it to him. Mm-hmm. And he did. And I'm like that that's kind of a stretch. Yeah, and it's also something that's one super powerful. And mm-hmm. two was the last thing given to him by his mentor who is no longer alive. And right. like, I'm sure there are things that you have been given by people that, that are no longer here that you're like, I'm never getting rid of this. And it's like, yeah. and he's, and he kind of plays a little game in his head. He's like, oh, Tony Stark worded this like this. He must mean that I'm the one to find the next Iron Man. That's clearly what he needs. And like you, and you were right. It was there was a little thing where it was like a stretch, and then it was like all of the work and effort. And then when you find out who those people used to work for, you're like okay, at least they knew that those glasses existed somehow, right? But yeah, it was that was a, a little bit weird, um, a little bit of a stretch. And but seeing him as Peter Parker with like you know trying to get a seat next to Mary Jane and being too awkward to kind of ask her out and. That kind of stuff. And then totally botched it, and yes. it ended up just being absolutely terrible. Yes. I love that part. And speaking of Ned, I think one of the most delightful pairings in this movie were Ned and Betty. 
<laughs> and and I think everybody in high school had one of these friends that just talked like way above their age because they thought they sounded mm-hmm. cooler or something. Yep. And that relationship that like, you know, you get on the, the bus on the field trip and by the end of it, you've got that boy and girl that randomly paired up and are dating and they're like, they have nicknames for each other already. And like, oh, babe. Yeah. We complete each other's sentences and this and that. And it's just like, you literally have only been dating for 10 minutes. How was that? And thing? then by lunch they broke up. Yeah. It's like, and it was so realistic. Like for any of the, the, the small failings, that part right there was like, yes, I loved yeah. that part. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just made me happy. Um, the, we mentioned the action sequence. I thought they were really good. Uh, they're doing some crazy things with the cameras and shots. There were some like overhead shots where Spider-Man was swinging around. And we talked about this on the phone earlier. The action sequences yeah. were as frenetic and busy as anything we've seen in a Marvel movie. Yet you knew. Exactly. But they. Yeah. Right. They did a really, really excellent job with the camera work and keeping you grounded so that you still knew what was going on, who was where. They kept they kept spatial relation. The camera didn't shake all the time just so that they could hide stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was it very, very well filmed. Yeah, when the 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 two scenes that really caught my eye, there was a during the battle with the fire guy, they did a shot where Spider Man jumped over the fire guy. And then like swung on something and kind of went back to get them. And they just, they did this like overhead camera shot, which was great. And then there's another shot when the drones finally revealed themselves in London. The camera is actually on one of the drones heading towards Spider-Man. So you see it approaching Spider-Man as he's battling off other drones until it gets hit. And then it kind of switches to another camera, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And even, even when they did camera shots that weren't attached to the drones, Mm -hmm. They picked good places to put the camera so that you still knew where you were into relation where you were on the last camera angle that you sh- that you saw. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're still following the same battle, and it, and it's not like they're jumping around and you're like, oh god, where am I now? You know, they picked perfect angles to show you all of the action and not have you confused as to you know where you were or what was going on in relation to like all of the all of the scenery, all of the set, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched a breakdown once that t- talked about like how the Transformers, for example, how many times they switch cameras, mm-hmm. and it's like, like it was a significantly, significantly more than most movies with action sequences, and like the the cuts didn't happen for any reason. And in this movie, they actually held on enough scenes for you to know where you were, who was attacking, who was being attacked, what the what the peril was, and then they cut away, and it was better. Right. Um. So yeah, it's it was really good. There was some some shield elements going on. Shield got involved again, or Nick Fury at least. There was definitely some. They did. Are you ghosting me? Yeah. So Nick Fury, <laughs> which of course you saw in the trailer, there was definitely some some pretty cute flirtation between Happy and Aunt May, mm-hmm. which I thought was. And uh, let's let's actually talk about one other time that I called it. Just, we're going to jump to the after credits. You... You totally, you got two in one movie, dude. You are on a roll. That, yeah, it was, was in January, at least. Um, so let's talk about the end credits, because that's usually your thing. Stay all the way to the yes. end. So there's a half credit one. I also think whoops, that Nick Fury is a Nick Fury. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first credit thing was, you know, he kept on saying friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He was a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He, you know, that everyone liked him but one of the 
one of the things you remember from the Spider-Man comics and cartoons is that everyone hated him because of who? J. Jonah Jameson. A media smear campaign. Yes, and the J. Jonah Jameson that they used is the one from the original Spider-Man movies and from the Farmer's Insurance commercials. Um, And I forget his name right now, but uh, what is the guy's name? Uh, Dude from Oz. Uh, Research department, look that up. Johnny Fartstein. (laughs) We need a Well, either way, that guy. Uh, so he came back and he is basically doing like an InfoWars style thing that implementing Peter Parker in Mysterio's death because Mysterio did some stuff to like, made like a little video saying, oh, Peter Parker is going to try to kill us. You know, he's going to kill everybody or he told the drones to kill people. And, and J.J. Jameson is like, well, Mysterio would have been the greatest hero of all time. And Spider-Man destroyed him and killed him and we're going to find out all this stuff. And so it's definitely like an InfoWars style thing, which I thought was kind of funny. And then that was the first clip. And the second one. That is J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. There you thank go. you very much. Uh, the second one. And, well, don't forget. Don't forget the big part of that one, though. What was, which part? The at, at the end of it, they out him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the big part. Yeah, that is fairly significant. The video plays. And you don't think you think it's going to cut away because they do like a little bit of a of a fuzzing out type thing where he said where Mysterio comes up on this video and says Peter or Spider Man is but and then it cuts out and then it comes mm-hmm. back and it says Spider Man is a kid named Peter Parker and it shows the clip of Peter Parker and it shows his picture yeah and it's like oh shit yeah uh so that was the first one which was like okay well, at least we know where we're going with the third movie kind of and the second clip happens after the credits and it this one is more towards the marvel universe because they're driving you're driving down the street kind of one of the nick fury type car scenes where it's nick fury and maria hill mm-hmm. Maria hill turns into a scroll she does then nick fury turns into a scroll and they're kind of arguing about like did they really screw this up by giving the glasses to peter and like did they mess up this whole thing and i'm gonna go back to episode 69 from january in which i said this I also think that Nick Fury isn't Nick Fury because I can understand that. Yeah. One, the appearance, how Nick Fury appears and, you know, basically just shoot someone in the neck in the trailer. Because if you look at Nick Fury, he's not Nick Fury of now. He's wearing his shield stuff and shield doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. Now I did in my, I guess the opposite of defense. I did say, I thought it was possibly chameleon. Right. Uh, Yeah. Chameleon did actually appear in this movie. In the character that becomes chameleon. I don't know if you noticed that, Rob. Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, the the long-haired guy that was like the tour bus driver who was really a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, That okay. guy actually is chameleon, possibly later on. We'll see how they go with that. But Is that the the Russian guy or whatever it is? Yeah, Dimitri. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to say in rebuttal, though, that in that conversation, you made it seem as though it was a villain portraying Nick Fury. Yes. And this very much was not the case. And that was actually an interesting twist, in my opinion. Yeah. And at that time, of course, we had not seen Captain Marvel yet either. So correct. Correct. Was, um, but I did not. I did not connect it to scrolls. But I was like, that's OK. Somehow I picked that out. So that is that. Um, I think that pretty much covers Spider-Man for the most part. Um, there, got, we do have there, to go there was, review. But go ahead. Yeah, there there was one or two things I'd like to mention. Okay. Sim- simply because the on-screen chemistry between Tom Holland and Zendaya is amazing. Yes. They they have such good chemistry on screen and it really makes it believable. 
And Tom Holland is without question my favorite Peter Parker. He mm. does he does the awkward teenager so well. He's so wonderful. Well. She's she's incredibly talented. The the awkwardness is endearing, not awkward. Like it's an it's an right. endearing awkwardness. Like when you see when you're out at a restaurant, and you see like two like teenagers on a first date or on prom or something like that, and you're like, oh, it's mm-hmm. so cute. Yeah, and it's like that. And one of the comments I made was that it Peter Parker is really more of at least the way that Tom Holland portrays him. Peter Parker is much more of a a, a human hero. He he's got much more human characteristics. He's he just seems more real, I guess. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like these superheroes who just have all these ridiculous powers and everything. He's, and he's an everyman, and that's what, right. He's got a limp at the end. He's he's more relatable. Yeah, and that's the point of him. That's what he always was, and that's why yeah. the, that's why th- these two Spider-Man movies have been great. And th- they have they have by far been my favorite Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I did like Andrew Garfield better than Tobey Maguire, but Tom Holland, without question, is my favorite Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And one other thing I will say is. I, I saw this movie with Jen and she made a good point that the at the end of the movie when Peter Parker is outed, she likened it to she's like, oh, well, he's out. You know, he just had his I am Iron Man moment. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I guess Tony Stark did come out and say that. But Peter Parker doesn't have the same resources and infrastructure that Tony Stark did. He can't protect everybody or protect himself, protect everybody at all times like Tony Stark could. He's he's a much more accessible target for people who are trying to hurt him or his family. Yeah. And Jen made a good point that this could be, being that it's a couple years later, uh, we might have a jump forward for this to work. But this could actually be the start of the New Avengers, in which you could have Tony's daughter step up, take control, become a teenage Iron Man or Iron Woman, and start the New Avengers and end up kind of like protecting Peter and his family in that way. And Pepper Potts could do the same thing. Yeah. Since, well, there's uh, also Ant-Man's daughter and Hawkeye's right. daughter too. Right. Man, a but, lot of people, you know, a lot of these people had girls. Sending, sending Peter Parker's family into like a uh, witness protection program kind of thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's they, they left a lot of big, you know, threads, which I think are, and they've been really good at, you know, pulling on those threads from the past movie. So I'm excited to see it. Uh, let's go with review here or our, our ratings, Rob, what do you think? I, I would definitely say go out to the theater. It's worth paying full price to see it. I would even suggest that you see it in IMAX simply because of how amazing of a camera job they did with the action sequences. Mm -hmm. The, the, the action sequences were, I know it sounds stupid, but they really were larger than life. And the, the filmography on this was just fantastic. I I loved every minute of it. It was worth every penny. Go see it in the theater. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. Uh, for the, the parents out there, which is something I always kind of look at, this mm-hmm. is one of those movies that I was on the cusp of, should I bring my kid or not? Because he did really well with Homecoming. He liked it. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I would say the action sequences are and violence is more disaster-based. Like You don't yes. see a lot of people getting punched and stuff like that. There is a relatively scary moment in the middle involving some some holograms and some illusions and illusions and a undead kind of zombie iron man crawling out of the ground and some if so if you're if your kid like my kid can't deal with that he freaked out over something very similar to that in like the pokemon movie or something like just like creepy 
dream sequence type hallucinations. Mm-hmm. If your kid can't handle that, probably not the movie for them. But if it's something that, you know, that doesn't bother them and you just, and the kid has seen disaster movies, there's a couple swear words. I think is they say the word shit twice and mm-hmm. Nick Fury saying bitch. So, and, and at the point where that happens, it would really suck to have your kid make you get up and leave because you'd be like, Oh no, I got to stay for this. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's right when the villain reveal can happen. So yeah, that's the only thing that I would say on that one. Yeah. See it. Go see it in the theater. Check it out in IMAX. All right, guys, that's going to bring us to our give me five question of the night. And based upon the movie Spider-Man Far From Home, I think we're going to do what are your top five twist villains or surprise villains, I guess you could say. The movie where you find out later that somebody that you thought was good ended up being the villain. Hmm. Okay, Jimmy. Yes. Well, what you got? You're first again. Number five is going to be Rose from the movie Get Out. Mm. My number four is going to be Ernesto de la Cruz from the movie Coco. Yep. Number three, Carter Burke from Aliens. That was Paul Reiser's character. A real company man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also in uh, Stranger Things season two. Yes. Number two is going to be Chancellor Palpatine. If you actually watch the Star Wars movies in order, that would be more of a surprise than it actually yeah, was. In, in numerical order, because by, order, yeah. Yeah, by the time it came about, everybody knew who he was. Yeah. <laughs> by the time it came out, you were like, he's got the same name as that government Emperor. guy. Yes. Number one, one of the greatest twits, twits, one of the greatest twists. Uh, in my opinion, is reveal of Verbal Kent. Oh, yes. From the movie The Usual Suspect. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, one of the, the greatest reveals, I that think, is... in the history of the What was the, the villain that he was talking about? I forget. Kaiser Soze. Yeah, that's what it was. Kaiser Soze. Yes. Well, I did change things up again because we kind of discussed this beforehand, so I didn't want to have all of the exact same ones as Jimmy. So I'm going to go ahead and go a little funny. The first one, uh, that is Finkel's Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel, and we'll, we'll go ahead with this real quick. That's it. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is a man. Oh, my God. Yeah, there we go. So that was that was Ace Ventura, and uh, you know, got, gotta love the playoff of uh, the Bills kicker there, the crying game, yeah. yeah, with the crying game stuff, and then the the scene in the shower afterwards. But that's that. Um, I'm also yeah. going with an Alien movie. This is uh, Ash from Aliens or from Alien. Uh, he is the uh, the synthroid or synthetic android character that kind of put them in Correct. peril. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernesto de la Cruz from Coco is my number three. Verbal Kint from Usual mm-hmm. Suspects is my number two. And my number one is Rose from Get Out because the when they revealed it, it was like that's when crap got real because you're like, okay, good. He's going to get out before anything bad happens. Oh, shit. She's in on it. Crap. Yeah. So that that's – it was the sheer – you just didn't want it to be her. But it yeah. was. So that's my number one. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and give you my five. I'm – I put – Lois Einhorn, right there. I'm right there with you, Greg. Lois Einhorn is my number five. At number four, when I when I first did this list, I had so many Disney villains on this list. I was like, oh my God. I ended up going with one that probably surprised me the most. And that would be King Candy from mm. the first Wreck-It Ralph. 
Yep. But yes, I had I had Ernesto de la Cruz, I had Hans from Frozen, I had Bellwether from Zootopia. You know, they 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 all would have made the list, but I, I decided to go yeah, ahead Bellwether with King and, Candy as and my most surprising one. Bellwether and Turbo is what I had them written down as, but yeah, King Candy. Yeah. Well King Candy was Turbo. Yeah, I know. I, I wrote it down as yeah. Turbo. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's my number four. At number three, I I think I'm gonna go ahead and do it because I didn't read the books. And it was a nice little reveal for me, the way that the movie laid it out. And I'm going to go with Tom Marvolo Riddle. Ah. When you realize that Tom Marvolo Riddle is, in fact, Lord Voldemort. And if you hadn't hadn't read the books at that point, you didn't know that. And that was that was a nice little reveal. And I was like, oh, fantastic. I'm really shocked that you hadn't read the books, <laughs> to be honest. Well... I didn't read the books because I had talked to people who had, I, I have since read the books, but I had talked to people who claimed that they were, that they were unhappy with the first movie because the book was so much better. And I was like, well, I really liked the first movie. So I decided to hold off on reading the books until I saw the movies that way. And, and as it is, I liked the books. They had more to offer that wasn't in the movies. So there was a point to reading the books at that point. So, but I wasn't disappointed with the movies because I wasn't comparing the movie to the book when I saw the movie. Okay. So, so I actually enjoyed all of the movies and I had no idea that Dumbledore was going to die at the end of the fifth movie. I was like, Oh my God. Nice. I was like, no. So yeah. So Tom Marvolo Riddle or Tom Marvolo Riddle is going to be my number three. My number two is going to be one of the original twist villains, and that's going to be Norman Bates. Oh, okay. because you didn't you didn't necessarily know because for the whole movie you thought it was Norman's mother. Yeah, but it ended up actually being Norman himself. And of course, my number one, one of the greatest twist ending reveals in my opinion of all time, and that's the Usual Suspects verbal kin. And if you haven't seen that movie, I highly recommend it. Even even though we've completely just spoiled the ending, it is still a great movie and worth and watching. And even though Kevin Spacey is not quite a good person, but that doesn't mean that all the other actors in there should get punished. And the writer and director and all that stuff. Correct. And and also it came out in 1995. Yeah. True. Sorry. Rob, you're always angry about something. But just, just give me something you're angry about. <laughs> well, I'm not always angry but are you angry that i said that that i god damn you greg (laughs) (laughs) there there are some things that that kind of grind my gears from time to time and being being that tomorrow is a holiday and not necessarily one of the big offenders of it but it does kind of remind me of it i'll go ahead and mention it and that's when people wish you a happy holiday of any specific kind and you feel the need to turn to that person and be like, well, I don't celebrate that. You know what? Mm. Screw you. I was being nice <laughs> and polite and just saying, Hey, you know what? Like tomorrow's the 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. Well, I don't celebrate the 4th of July. Blah, blah, Does blah. Someone actually say that. I, no, I'm just using that as an example because tomorrow's a holiday and it reminded me. Okay. Gotcha. But so I was going to say like, if you don't celebrate eating barbecue, Exactly. Well, but you know, the, the people who are angry at America and say, well, America's the devil. I'm not going to celebrate America. Shut up. Or Eat barbecue. if, if it's Christmas day and I say Merry Christmas and you look at me with a sneer and say, I don't celebrate Christmas. You know what? 
F you. I was being polite. Today is actually the holiday. It's a recognized holiday. Whether you celebrate it or not, if I'm wishing you a Merry Christmas, I obviously celebrate it. Just be a polite human and say, well, Merry Christmas to you, even if you don't celebrate it. Just obviously I do. And today is that holiday. Wish me a Merry Christmas, you dick. (laughs) (laughs) If, if, If it's the holiday season... And I say Merry Christmas, and you feel the need to say, well, I don't celebrate Christmas. Wish me a happy holiday that you do celebrate. Say, well, happy Kwanzaa. I'll be like, oh, happy Kwanzaa to you. Or or happy Hanukkah. You know, I, why does everybody feel the need to say, to to denigrate somebody or a holiday that they don't celebrate simply because they don't celebrate it. That doesn't mean the other person can't celebrate it. Just say, and if you don't want to say any of that, just say, thank you, you jerk. All right. Come on. Jerk. Exactly. That, it it just irritates the crap out of me when people do that. And I know I probably got really loud there, (laughs) but it's okay, but we actually, yeah, heard you I mean, over, we actually heard you over the fireworks, which is impressive. That's why my dog's barking. Now. Yeah. That's right. That that it, with the holiday coming up, it reminded me. So that's one of the things that irritates no, I fully me. I will be willing to accept any and all holiday celebrations, especially if your holiday comes with like a special type of food that you want to oh, bring to me. Yes, like I'll celebrate anything. I don't care. Bring it. If I bring in Christmas cookies and I say Merry Christmas, and you go, I don't celebrate Christmas, and then try to take one of my cookies, I'm gonna punch you. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you! You don't get any Christmas cookies. You will, you will smack that Christmas cookie right out of the hand. I will. No, nope. you don't celebrate Christmas. You don't you celebrate could, holidays. Just say thank lied. you, and then you you, you, you could have just said thank you and had a cookie. Go to hell. <laughs> wow, uh, I don't believe in hell, sir. Uh, <laughs> doesn't mean you're not going. I am. We'll be there. Okay, Jimmy, when you are inevitably angry about at least part of this episode, uh, how would people get in touch with us? Guys, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. If you want to email us directly, you can shoot us a line at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. Subject Rob. <laughs> <laughs> As with all of those, the five in Give Me Five is spelled out. That's F-I-V-E. And if you could, thank you in advance. Leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you're using. We would And maybe not mentioning it. Rob in those reviews. That's probably for the best for all of us involved. <sighs> you guys, just we say, have a store. Just say thank you, you dick. Thank you, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but you suck. <laughs> Guys, we have a store. If you want to wear some of our sweet, sweet merchandise, you can check it out at GiveMe5Podcast.Threadless.com. We have some really cool stuff on there. Mugs, shirts, bath Good, t- good talking yes. point, by the way. Uh, just the other day, I was wearing my Give Me 5 Podcast shirt as I was going into, where was I? Some theme park. Mm-hmm. And I got stopped. And they were like, that shirt's really cool. And uh, you people will try to high five you though because it does look yeah if you don't see the podcast part mm-hmm. I have been, I have been high fived on multiple occasions and Greg said thank you you dick <laughs> yes I did I did they high five me and said Merry Christmas and I said I don't celebrate that and then Rob punched me in the face and took my cookie I did as he should yeah 
If you want to find the direct link to download us at, that is giveme5.libsyn.com. Guys, next episode, we will most likely be covering Stranger Things Season 3 because as we are recording right now, it is 1121 on Wednesday, and I'm pretty sure in about 40 minutes or so, Season 3 of Stranger Things will be coming out. Hell yeah. I know what I'm doing for the 4th. More 80s. Oh, you're not celebrating the 4th, Rob? Is that what you're saying? I don't celebrate the 4th of July. Son of a... (laughs) 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 He's going to sit around, say mean things about Billy Joel and baseball, (laughs) and not celebrate 4th of July. That's right. Or probably he's just going to go into work and sew people's fingers back on. No, I will will most likely be at Epcot for the 4th of July firework. Anyway, so next week we will be covering Stranger Things Season 3, so... Feel free to check that out, binge it, and then you can join in on the conversation. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Okay, I gotta pee and walk this dog.